It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks so much for tuning in. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we will cover it all pertaining to the New York Giants. You can send in your questions using hashtag Giants chat. We will try to answer them throughout the course of the week. A reminder, all of our shows this week will be pre-recorded, so we will not be able to take phone calls. But we'll still be driving some excellent content along the way. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app podcast platforms everywhere and at giants.com slash podcast. So what we're going to do this week is we're going to hear from former Giants players, have them weigh in on the current roster and the outlook for this team. And today we're going to start by focusing on the wide receiver core. As we are now joined by a man who played for the Giants from 1987 to 1992. He held Big Blue win Super Bowl 25 over the Bills. None other than former Giants wide receiver Stephen Baker, the touchdown maker. Steven, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Man, it's going very good. I want to thank you guys for having me on the show. And I have to say, I was at Giants Stadium, or MetLife Stadium, the other day when they did the annual snowball. Got to see my son play, and they raised a lot of money. It was just great to be back in the Giant atmosphere again. Absolutely. Well, that is very nice to hear, and perhaps a sign that we are inching closer to fans and everybody else returning to normalcy at MetLife Stadium. And, Stephen, it is a pleasure to have you on the program. I want to start from your perspective, Stephen, because I think what's interesting about the Giants' offense entering this season is – Daniel Jones and the personnel around him, for the most part, is actually going to be working within the same scheme, which is not something that Daniel Jones had the luxury of saying over his final year at Duke and his early stages of his Giants career. When you look back at your experience, Stephen, I know 1987 was the strike-shortened season, so maybe it's more of 88 to 89. How beneficial was it that you were operating with the same offensive coordinator and the same scheme? Well, it was a lot easier because you know the plays. You don't have to think when you go out there. And everybody on our team, we knew our roles. So it was it was easy. And we'd done it year after year. And with uh, Ron Earhart emphasizing, you know, the short passing game and just give, getting us the ball when he could because, as you well know, back then we were primarily a running team. But when they did throw the ball, we just made sure we were in the right place at the right time. And we all jailed together as a unit. There's a lot of debate, Stephen, about Daniel Jones. People still questioning whether or not he's got the upside to be the franchise quarterback the Giants drafted him to be. Others who believe that, okay, you know, it's a slow process. It's taken a couple of years, but he's making progress and he's on the right track. How do you see it, and if there are any doubts or questions, where do you think they should be placed? Well, I believe in the latter, man. I, I, I believe in him. And I the only knock that I would have against him, and I'm sure he's working on it diligently, is when he gets tackled in the backfield and fumbles the ball. But otherwise, he's on the right track as far as I'm concerned. He's a mobile quarterback. That great run he did, and they made a lot of memes about him, him getting shot down against the Eagles when he was running. <laughs> that was incredible by a quarterback. And he has the potential 
it, to me, it reminds me almost like a, you know, not quite the standard of Michael Vick, but something we haven't seen around here in a long time. He can make plays on third and long when they break down and make people miss. And I, I'm impressed with him. I, I'm dead serious. I, I like him a lot. Ever since the first time he ran that touchdown against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I was a fan. Yeah, that was his first game as a New York Giants starting quarterback. Certainly a memorable performance. I think the other thing that most people expect, Stephen, entering this season with Daniel Jones is, okay, well, he improves, to your point, his decision-making, ball security, and he gets a little bit more talent around him with the addition of a guy like Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, who is drafted. What do you think of what the Giants did between the drafted free agency, specifically at the wide receiver position, to perhaps help him elevate his productivity? Absolutely. Man, uh, my boy Otis Anderson and I, we talk daily, and he mentioned to me, and I agreed with him, he's like, we need to get somebody who can take the top off the defense. And um, with the offseason acquisition of Kenny Galladay, who is primarily, you know, he's a big play uh, uh, possession type receiver, but we also got John Ross, who is a 4-2 guy, and can put a threat on people. So I am Looking forward to seeing these guys. I mean, the name sounds like a, a law firm. Galladay, Tony, Ross, Clayton, <laughs> Shepard. Man, it, on paper, we kicking everybody's butt. But that's on paper. You know, we got to get these guys to jail together. And I think we have the right coach to do that because, you know, I love what he did last year. I'm not going to mention any names, but, you know, sitting down certain players because, of, you know, the team comes first. And I think we're on the, the right page. Well, especially with these guys, man. I'm looking forward to it. I, 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 I'm always excited as a Giants fan, but even more so with these weapons that we have given Daniel Jones. Are you kidding me? No, I tell you something, Stephen. It's certainly exciting to look at. I need to ask you something that's a personal bias of mine. Sure. You know, I like to see a wide receiver room that's got a different collection of skill sets. Mm-hmm. Now, the Giants have added that skyscraper in Galladay. Now, with all due respect to some of the shorter receivers the Giants have had over the years, and I'm not talking present company necessarily, but you understand that having a skyscraper to add to the mix, to give you a different look, and to also give the quarterback a bigger box to throw into, I've always said that it's important to have one of those. The Giants haven't had one in a while since Plexico, and to some degree, Nixon Toomer kind of did some of that. But Galladay is that guy. How much of a difference do you think his addition makes to the wide receiver room? It's huge, and he has to know his role and don't get caught up in trying to be the best receiver in the whole league. Be the best receiver for the New York Giants. We had a guy like that, Odessa Turner, before all those guys you mentioned. That was his role on the team. They told him, look, you're a big target coming across the middle, slants, bait. We need you to win on third down. Um because we're going to line up three receivers to one side. Once again, it's everybody knowing their roles. And I think we have the right, I know we have the right coach that can get that across to these guys. And I tell you, a big target is a must for a quarterback. Imagine when he's running that, that deep end cut, the 18 yards and coming across the middle, and you see that big body frame going across there versus my little behind. I can <laughs> separate from people, but to see a big target and then the, the radius of his arm reach, no, it's it's, it's huge. Steven, on a related note, speaking of the dynamics of the receiving core, and I'm very curious your perspective, 
we often think, well, the more and more talent you add to a receiving core and the more and more guys that you line up, okay, now you're keeping the defense on its toes, right? You're making those guys think. From your experience, I know you emphasize, hey, when I played in the early stages, it was more of a run game attack, but your knowledge in playing the wide receiver position, when you add a guy like Kenny Galladay, you add a guy like John Ross, who you mentioned with the speed, how much do you think that could potentially open up the Giants' offense and really take pressure off of Daniel Jones because defenses now really have to pick their poison in terms of who they want to double up? Absolutely. It, it is huge. And with the addition of uh, Barkley coming back, the yeah. threat of the running game, the, the DBs and the, safe, the, the defensive coordinator is going to have to come up with some creative ways to stop these guys. And let's not forget Sterling Shepard. He should be, I'm sure he's the, he's the leader of that group. And we all know what he can do in the slot position and make people miss. And I would be remiss if I didn't say the whole key. And you guys know this. You got to stay healthy. Sure. You know, we lose one or two of these guys. And the backups, I mean, what, we got Dante. We got Pettis, right? Pettis? Yeah. He's going to be tough for him probably to make the team. But he's a burner. And you got to have guys that are willing to um, step up. Well, you know what, Stephen? You just mentioned the running game, and I know it's it's always easy to say, well, it takes the pressure off the passing game. With the way the Giants have added weapons to the aerial attack, do you think they are still going to try to be a balanced team or a run team first that will try to set up the pass with the run? Or do you suspect that with the overemphasis on the aerial weaponry that they'll try to be a passing team first? Now, you know, that's a, a good question because I remember when um, the coach came out with his first series of plays, he came out in five wides to start the season off. <laughs> I, I, yeah, because he's, he's a little unpredictable, but if he's anything true to Belichick's uh, creed or, or pedigree, his running game sets up everything, man. Hey, I played John Madden 2021 on video games, and I play these kids all the time, and I run the ball first, and I can't tell you how much it sets up the passing game. (laughs) You'd be surprised, because they'll come up in there and they start blitzing, and I hit Ingram coming across the middle, but, yeah, on a a serious note, um, I really believe that the running game is going to pass, because then you can do play action, and you got all these weapons. Like I said, on paper, I am so excited, man. You you know when you say those things, Earhart and Parcells would be very proud of you. You understand? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, and I'm a wide receiver who came from a program that I averaged over 28 yards a catch, and I came here, and we didn't even throw the ball. But you know what? It was all about your role on the team, and that's what we got to get these guys to do. Don't get caught up in all that being the best receiver in the league. Be the best receiver for the New York Giants. I'm glad, Steven, you brought up knowing your role within the receiving core because I think with all these names that we're talking about, and you bring up a very valid point. Hey, it could look great on paper. Does it translate to the field? But one guy I want to focus on here is Darius Slayton because he had a very strong rookie campaign. He was a little bit banged up last season, and maybe the numbers dipped as a result. But the reason I bring him up is, if I'm correct, Stephen, you did a lot of work with Jeff Hostedler, right, on the scout team early in your career. And I would say that was beneficial, obviously, when he filled in for an injured Phil Sims. And I think of, well, Slayton and Daniel Jones came in at the same time. How much do you think, even with a lot of new personnel being mixed in, that Slayton's chemistry with Daniel Jones could still help him be a prominent part of this offense? It, it is so huge, and I, I hate to keep harping back on my career, but you're absolutely right. I was a, a backup, and I practiced with Jeff Hosteller every day, and he would say, Bake, 
Let's get them yelled at today. Meaning <laughs> that we're going to go 100%. They hold up the little cards. I was uh, Gary Clark for the Redskins. I mean, we played like it was game time and, and would get Parcells to yell at them. And little did we know that we were developing a chemistry. So when Sims went down, we all just came, you know, it was, it was just like practice again. And it, we didn't miss a beat. And I'm pretty sure, I'm 100% sure that's the same case with Darius Slayton and, and um, Daniel. They have a chemistry that's, that's there. Well, you know, it was about a month ago, as I understand it, uh, Stephen, there have been reports that Daniel Jones did get a collection of his offensive guys out to Arizona to do some off-season workouts, understanding that right now with what's going on here, uh, it's not just not possible. Uh, how much do you think that really helps? Uh, how much does that tell you about Daniel Jones as a leader? And will that small gathering, even though it was for only a week, Will that be something that can make a difference when they finally do report to training camp? <laughs> Absolutely. And I actually uh, read that report, too. And I, I was I was very impressed by that because uh, we did the same thing during the strike. We all got together and went to a local high school and, and, and worked out. But Daniel Jones, to take it upon himself to say, hey, guys, let's get better. Basically, is all what he's saying. Let's get better. And you got to give a guy a lot of respect like that because he's the leader of that team. And these guys just have to follow his lead. And I think we're going to be okay. That, that shows a lot of maturity on his part. We're talking with former Giants wide receiver Stephen Baker here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. He helped Big Blue win Super Bowl twenty five over the Buffalo Bills. I think another intriguing part of the receiving core is the addition of Kadarius Toney who is a really jack-of-all-trades type of player, Stephen. And the reason why I bring him up is because, you know, when you look at your versatility, your elusiveness, it's interesting to see how Jason Garrett is going to employ him. He can throw the ball. He was a former quarterback. You can run him out of the backfield. And clearly, he can thrive when he gets into open space. From a dynamic perspective, how do you think they will utilize him? And what can somebody like Tony actually add to this offense? Once again... Belichick had guys that, that played receiver. He let them play DB. Basically, if you're an athlete, they're going to put you in positions to win. And that, I, I believe Coach is going to do that with this kid, too. I watched highlights of him. And what I'm very impressed with Kadarius is how he plants his foot in the ground to make a move, even without the ball to get open. I call it, I used to call it, I used to stomp so hard to get that separation and I see this in this kid and I don't see that in all the receivers that I watch when I'm watching the game and I see what makes him so good he's a tall frame too he's six feet and runs like Dave Meggett <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's huge I mean I saw him he's running reverses he can throw the ball I, we got to use him in a myriad of ways and make the defense keep him on their toes I think it's interesting that you mentioned Meggett because when Kadarius Tony was asked about who he kind of tries to style himself after, you know, he was talking about Alvin Kamara, a running back. And that's the thing when you look at him, Stephen, Tony's got some, some, some meat on his bones and some power in his legs, and he, he runs like a running back, doesn't he? Uh, absolutely. Like I said, that, did you watch that highlight when he's – Pumps his foot in the ground and makes that move upfield. There's no hesitation. And that's a, a rare quality, especially uh, from a wide receiver. So basically, it's not rocket science, man. Get the ball in this man's hands. <laughs> Get him his touches. <laughs> <laughs> and then let him do the rest of the work and the heavy lifting. I'd say that's a very strong philosophy to be implemented. The other thing when you look at this receiving core, Stephen, is 
Tyke Tolbert, the receivers coach, one of the things when he's talked to the media over the last few seasons has been, hey, he teaches all of these receivers the entire offense, the XYZ, the entire alphabet. He's not just focusing on, hey, you're a slot guy, you're an outside guy. And I'm wondering from your time in the NFL, how important is it that a wide receiver is not defined based on one position, but they really open the door to move people around? So to your point, if somebody, God forbid, gets hurt, they know, hey, well, he has experience on the outside and the inside, and he's sort of an interchangeable part. And you just mentioned Tom Coughlin in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) He made sure that the wide receivers, that we knew everything, man. We had to know the defensive fronts. We had to know uh, where the linebackers were. We actually took tests the night before the game. And, of course, we didn't like him for that because we were young. (laughs) But when it came down to it, we knew everything uh there was no stone unturned and we could we were interchangeable because we had we learned what the other people were doing other receivers were doing because it would give you an idea of why this is working and why you're the primary and it's just huge that you can get receivers to all learn and that's the new i think the way they do it in the nfl now everybody has to know all the positions because god forbid somebody go down well, let's not talk about injury, okay? Let's know, okay, that everybody's going to be healthy, okay? You're absolutely right. Now, that creates, though, a logjam, Stephen, because we've already talked about Slayton, Galladay, Shepard. Let's not forget, they also signed Kyle Rudolph, you know, to form a double tight end combination with Evan Ingram. Now, if all those guys are healthy... I guess the biggest problem the Giants have is how do you get Kadarius Toney on the field? Where does he get those snaps from, and how do you utilize him if you've got these other guys who are so established and we know what they can do? Yeah, absolutely right. And like I said, mentioned earlier, I think we have the coach that's going to get everybody to buy into that because we experienced that too. I hate to keep harping back on my career, but with um, with Bill Parcells and you have to know your role and don't get upset if you're not in there right away or, or you're not on the field at a certain time don't go to the press and and make us think about it come talk to the coach about it but i really believe that it, it comes down to knowing your role on the team and once this offense gets rolling and the kids see that at work because that's how they are today if, if, if it's working they're gonna buy into it if you want to win a Super Bowl, buy into it. This guy's done it before. You know, why not listen to Coach? <laughs> sure. Well, Stephen, let me do a follow-up here with you, though, because where where do you see, despite all of the talents and traits and versatility that Tony has and will continue to show as a pro, where do you suspect will be the easiest part or plug-in area of the Giants' offense for him to learn? Should they just say, look, for the time being – Worry about being a slot guy, or should they say worry just about taking the, you know, the, one of the boundary spots, or should they simply say, look, we're just going to give you a bunch of gadget plays to run? What would you say would be the best thing for him to master quickly? Well, uh, I would say that the outside. I played the X, and the slot is a little more challenging because you have a. a, a a lot of reads with the linebackers blitzing and the safeties coming up, and all that can be evaluated during training camp. And the coaches know. That's why sometimes when you watch games and you're like, how come this guy's not playing? Hey, they can't put you in there if you don't know the plays. Because, you know, 
well, the quarterbacks are well protected now. But back in our day, the quarterbacks could literally get killed, and we were told that by the offensive coordinator if we don't pick up blitzes, whatnot, if we're in the slot or even at the X position. But the X outside position is um, the easiest. They're all hard, but you know what I'm saying? It's a little more less difficult than playing the slot. However, when you're in the slot, you can put him in a myriad of ways. You know what I'm saying? You can put him in. He can do so much more from the slot. And they'll make that judgment. If he's ready, they'll put him in there when he's ready. It's funny. We were bringing up Kadarius Tony, and you've been reminiscing about your career because how can we talk about him without mentioning perhaps, Stephen, what he could bring to the special teams considering what he did right at Florida? And I go back to your career because early in your career, you actually had some opportunities to return punts. So I guess my question is, and this is maybe more from a fan perspective that I completely disagree, and I'm very curious to get into your mind early in your career. We know, hey, the best way for a rookie to make an impact is to play special teams, but the fan viewpoint is, well, wait a minute. If he's going to contribute as a wide receiver, Steven, I don't want to expose him to additional hits on special teams. How much did that play into your mind, or how important do you think that is in the minds of a coaching staff when you have a first-round pick that you're dealing with? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, you know, I was a third-round pick, and, of course, um, I was pretty good at punt returns in college until I came to the pros and dropped one, and Parcells yelled, I don't ever want to see him back there again. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so, I was not upset at that because the mindset of the uh, the uh, special teams weren't like they were in college. We had a motto, don't leave a man on the island alone. When I got here, most of the guys were mad because they were on special teams. But I, it's so exciting to have somebody back, especially if he can make plays. You know what I mean? And, and I understand the fans' point of view. You're worried about him getting injured. But look at how it changes field position, man. 13 to 14 yards return is huge. And then you have a guy that's capable of taking it to the house. Man, you got, and once again, you get the, the offense, I mean, the uh, special teams to buy into it. Like, look, we have a, this is what we did in college. We have a special guy back there. Protect him. Don't leave him on that island alone. Do whatever you can to make those blocks because we have a guy that can make two or three people miss and take it to the house and bring the crowd to their feet. The kids just have to, to buy into it. And you mentioned the injury part. I mean, I, it's a part of football. However, I don't know. I'm kind of torn on it. I, I want to see him back there. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> with you. Yeah. Bring the crowd to their feet. Well, it's certainly one way to get him some touches. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, put him back there on kickoff. Well, the rules have changed now. It was a little bit different back when we played. But if he was doing kickoff return and punt return and playing wide receiver in the slot, that would be uh, a little much because then teams are starting, okay, we're going to try to get this guy. You know what I mean? We're going to go after him and try to wear him out and go after him a little more aggressively. Uh, Think about, uh, you mentioned earlier, John Ross, who's another guy who kind of gets lost in this equation. And I think Dante Pettis, you mentioned him as well, Mm -hmm. another guy who gets lost in this conversation. But those two guys are burners, Stephen. They are burners. And, And they can do things deep down the field. And we both know that that's an important component that, quite honestly, the Giants haven't really shown a lot of in recent years. So, again, how do you weave that into the mix when these guys may be fighting for one or, for all we know, maybe zero positions on this roster because they're so deep? Yeah, that's true. And But you need a player that can 
put that potential threat, or as we call it, take the top off the defense. And those two guys can do it. And, I mean, once again, I know I keep harping on it. <laughs> you know your role. Coaches get yeah. your role. John, look, I need you to take the top off defense on this play so so-and-so can get across the, the field on the other side. Uh, if you're open on the – eventually that's going to set up that deep post behind it and they're going to – hit you on it. Just don't get frustrated. At the end of the day, when you get the Super Bowl ring and the Super Bowl trophy and the accolades and knowing that you're a world champion, it's all worth it. That's what I would tell these guys, you know? Don't we be caught up in all of that nonsense. I know I keep saying it about being the best receiver in the whole league and getting all these touches. I'm not getting enough touches. I can't show what I can do. Shut up. Play the game and know your role. And I'm not saying these guys are doing that, but you know what I mean as a whole some of these players in the league today. Well, you bring up a great point, Steve, and I think we take for granted all this talent on the field. Hey, everybody's going to go home happy, but just like they say in basketball, there's only one basketball. Well, there's only one football, and the quarterback, right, can only throw to one guy at once. So it's fair to at least keep that in the back of your mind. And that brings me to something I wanted to follow up that you were alluding to earlier in terms of what the look of this offense is going to be like, what the dynamics will be like, and how that could perhaps impact Daniel Jones's decision-making. Because with Saquon coming back, the one thing that I think gets overlooked, Stephen, is Saquon caught a lot of passes. When he's out there for double-digit games, you could almost pencil him in for about 50 receptions. And we're taking into consideration, hey, bringing in somebody that could take the top off the defense. I guess what I'm getting at is... How much do you think with the deep threats and having the insurance policy of Saquon that Daniel, regardless of what happens with the offensive line, the options of dumping off the football and sort of picking what you want to go with is going to be there as opposed to hoping that somebody can come through and work miracles within this offense? Well, you hit a good point there because I didn't realize that he caught that many passes, but now that I'm thinking back, you're right. He would just hit him in the flat and yeah. Saquon would do his magic. And I think by Daniel Jones being an experienced quarterback now, because this is, this is his third year, correct? Daniel Jones this is going to be year number three. Third. Yeah. His third, okay. So, I mean, your third year in the league, they shouldn't be able to throw anything at you that you haven't seen. So if those plays aren't there, you know, just dump it off to Sterling Shepard. And uh, I'm sure that he's at that level right now. Uh, this is a, a big year for him. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going by how Parcells would do it. That's how what he told us as wide receivers and that rookie class that came in told us that it's a break, a make or break year for you. You know, you got to show me something. My last question, Stephen, it has to do with we go back to Daniel Jones mm-hmm. and we all say that this has got to be his breakout year. This is the year he needs to prove that the Giants were right that he can be the guy to take them to the next level. That's a lot of pressure to put on this young man. But from what we've seen, he would appear to have the temperament to do it. Yes or no? Absolutely. And like we, you, we talked about earlier, him just getting the guys together to go to Arizona to make themselves better as a receiving corp is, is huge. And you can't take that away from him, his desire to want to get better. And that's what I, I, I respect about any athlete. Doing the stuff when you're not under the pressure or when the coaches are looking. You know, that's a sign of a great athlete. What do you do when the coaches aren't looking? Steven. Is that guy today?
We're talking with Stephen Baker, former Giants wide receiver. Stephen, before we let you go, I want to actually ask you about a wide receiver on a division rival because this is going to be a guy that the Giants are going to see twice a year. And Paul and I have had some conversations about this subject, and I don't think there's anyone more suitable to weigh in on this than a guy who was questioned about his size, his weight, his height, and whether or not he could actually make a name for himself throughout his NFL career. And you certainly can attest to that. The Eagles moved up in the first round. They drafted Devontae Smith out of Alabama. There's been a lot of questions that he doesn't have enough meat and potatoes on the bone, okay, to use a lack of a better phrase. What is your take on the question surrounding Devontae Smith and how somebody like you could relate to being overlooked but then not shying away from contact throughout your career? Absolutely, man. I, I, I would say to people, do not sleep on this young man because remember, speed kills and you don't know this man's heart. And based on some of the highlights that I've seen of him when I watched him play, he is a burner. And we all know, remember the great Cliff Branch? What was the term? Speed kills. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as far as matching up against him, we got, a, you know, a solid corner, James Bradbury, who I'm sure is ready to play and like bring him on. But we can't sleep on him. And um, I have a, a lot of respect whenever I see guys my size that are trying to make it in the league. And I, I have so much respect for him because I know what they have to go through. That's always a knock against you. Oh, I don't know if he could last a whole 16-game season. Hence why I never got to play in the slot as much. <laughs> but always proved the coach wrong because I always ended up to start at the end of the season and finish. So you should never count out or misjudge someone just because of their size. Because you don't know that man's heart. And I trust me, he is a dynamic player as well. There's no doubt about it. I, I, I was going to say this, Stephen. He's probably a couple of Thanksgiving dinners heavier than you were. But, but today's NFL defenders, specifically those safeties, uh, they are bigger, stronger, and a lot faster than they were when you played. No doubt. And you want to know something else, guys? I played a golf tournament the other day, and I got to talk to um, Harold Carmichael, man. And I tell you, six foot eight guy, and we talked about today's receiving game. And I was so happy to hear that he took, he thought just like I thought, as far as some of the antics that these, some of these guys do. You know, you pick a 10 yard first down and you point and dropping the ball. He said that that stuff burned him up. And we also talked about him going against Pat Fisher. I don't know if you guys remember, Pat Fisher was a little. Sure defensive back for the Redskins and it was just an honor to talk to an, an, an older player that I once looked up to as a kid we used to write number 17 or whatever receiver was playing well we used to write him on t-shirts because we couldn't afford jerseys <laughs> it was just an honor to to talk to a hall of famer and he was so humble well said he is Stephen Baker who suited up for the Giants from 1987 to 1992 he held big blue win Super Bowl 25 over the Bills. Well, Stephen, it was a pleasure having you on the program. We greatly appreciate your time, your insight. Looking forward to the upcoming season and hope you and yours continue to stay safe and healthy. Thanks so much. Thanks, Stephen. Hope to see you soon. Thank you, guys. Go Big Blue. So that was former Giants wide receiver Stephen Baker, kind enough to weigh in on a variety of topics pertaining to the Giants offense. And Paul, as we now carry out the remainder of the program here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, we're going to have also, by the way, Giants fans, Many different former Giants players the rest of the week that we hope to speak to to sort of analyze and weigh in on different facets of the team. But let's react to what Stephen Baker had to say because it's really fascinating how he can relate some of his own experiences to this current team. But I think the big emphasis is 
You can't talk about the lack of versatility. You can't talk about the lack of talent when it comes to this group. It's a matter of can they take all of those pieces together? Can everybody stay healthy? If all of those things fall into line, the ceiling's pretty high for this offense. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt because of the talent level that we're speaking of. I mean, just look across the board. Every one of these guys either has shown in the NFL that they can do some dangerous things or in the case of, like, Kadarius Toney, has shown at a very high level in the NCAA that he can be an extremely potent weapon. So the Giants are going in with just a slew of things in their arsenal to give to Daniel Jones. And after all, that's what Dave Gettleman said he was going to do this offseason. He wanted to make sure that Daniel had as many different tools at his, at his disposal to try to attack a defense. Mission accomplished. So now the big deal lies on Jason Garrett the offensive coordinator who's going to have to not only keep these folks happy, and you mentioned to to Stephen about making sure that, you know, guys are all on the same page, and Stephen said they got to make sure that they've got their roles down because you can't be screaming, I want the damn ball, when it's getting spread out amongst so many talented players. But as long as they're able to, to mesh and gel and everybody's on the same page, there's no reason to expect that the Giants' offense will not have a significant jump in production. Uh, again, it, it all comes down to the offensive line up front, but we're going to assume for the sake of this argument that the offensive line will hold up and be at least functional. That certainly is going to be an X factor. I think anybody that looks at this team could talk about all the talent, but the point is the guys up front in the trenches are going to define truly what they can make work effectively within this offense. What you just mentioned also got me thinking about something, and I'm curious your perspective, Paul, because Sterling Shepard's been on the Giants, Darius Slayton's been on the Giants, so maybe they're not necessarily related to what I'm talking about, but Kenny Galladay, who can be viewed as the guy within the receiving core based on his track record, based on his size, I think perhaps what helps his outlook when we talk about is there enough opportunities to spread the wealth. He's coming from a Lions offense where you had Marvin Jones, who now signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars this offseason. You had Danny Amendola, who was there for a few seasons. And you also had TJ Hawkinson, who pretty much is a pseudo-wide receiver based on how they utilized him in Detroit. I guess what I'm getting at, Paul, I'm wondering, from his mindset— He's walking now into a receiving core where there's several other weapons, some guys who already have previous history and track records with Daniel Jones. They just drafted a dynamic weapon in Kadarius Toney that maybe it's not much of an adjustment where he's coming from versus what he's walking into and perhaps how that could at least help his mindset if anyone is concerned about, hey, Galladay's expected to come in, get X amount of targets and receptions, and maybe it doesn't necessarily play out like that consistently. Well, I think we can probably both agree that's one of the reasons why both Galladay and the Giants wanted to have a face-to-face meeting and an interview before he decided where he was going to land. I mean, it would seem to me, if he had any thoughts about, well, this team is going to run the ball, you know, 70% of the time, and there's not going to be many chances for me, or this team has X, 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 and X all over the offensive playbook, and I'm not going to get my share of the passes, 
Well, you know, I mean, I think, A, he wanted to make sure that he would have a substantial role on the team that he went to. And I'm sure that the Giants obviously wanted to understand what his mentality was going to be. Do you feel you have to be a guy who's going to catch 120 passes? And if you're not going to uh, be uh, willing to do that, do we want you here? I mean, there was a feeling out process on both sides. And I really believe that that's probably the most significant factor in the Galladay signing. We can talk all we'd like about his pure ability and about his pure talent. But the fact that he came here to East Rutherford for two days and had a powwow with the Giants and he felt comfortable, they felt comfortable. And in fact, each side sold each other to the other guy. I think I think to me... That that is the most significant part of this Galladay signing because they they believe on both ends of the equation that this is a good fit for all the right reasons. If by some stretch of the imagination, one of the corners of the puzzle piece didn't fit for either Galladay or the Giants, I don't think he would have been here. I think I think he would have gone somewhere else. He would have left the building and gone on some kind of free agent tour and landed with another team. Well, because to your point, this offseason compared to previous offseasons, normally once the free agent frenzy begins, guys can't wait quick enough to sign on the dotted line once they get an attractive offer. You're on the phone with the agent. He likes what he's hearing. He passes on to his client. Done deal. This was more of a drawn-out process, which is very rare in this day and age where you have the guy come in, he visits, you're also in the midst of a global pandemic, and you had an opportunity to meet face-to-face. So you do hope that that period of time, going out for dinner, visiting the facility, everybody got a feel for one another. Joe Judge got a feel for him. Jason Garrett, most importantly, got a feel for him. He was able to interact and talk to some teammates so that, to your point, when you get to week eight, week nine of the season, and maybe you do go up against some obstacles or challenges, you got a good read on how he would handle those circumstances. So that, I think, is worth highlighting, especially based on what we heard from Stephen Baker earlier in the program. A reminder, limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. And lastly, remember, let's get vaccinated. Go to COVID19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. I want to move on to the calendar with respect to the NFL schedule, Paul, because it is Monday, May 24th, and this marks the beginning of a new phase. Yes, everybody is overwhelmingly excited of the (laughs) off-season program. So from today through June 18th is what we consider the third phase of the off-season program. This includes organized team activities, OTAs, and this also includes the mandatory minicamp. Now, it's important for everybody to understand, we're still in the voluntary phase, even though it's phase three. So these OTAs are voluntary, and there is no contact. The difference now is we're entering a period of time where you can have in-person and on-field practices. That is allowed, but CBA rules require there's no contact. And then we're going to get to... 
about the second week of June, right, Paul, the Giants have their scheduled mandatory minicamp, and that's where the voluntary phrase turns to mandatory, and that's really the last hurrah before the team breaks for the start of training camp. The mandatory minicamp is set for June 8th through the 10th, and those three days are, are so critical for a number of reasons. One, that's where you get to do the most with your players, and obviously during the protocol situation, uh, you haven't been able to do a whole heck of a lot. And then number two, because that's the final time that you'll be able to see your guys. They they have a, a an OTA, so to speak, on the 14th and 15th, but that's very minimal. And then the coach will ship off all the players and say, fellas, uh, you're coming back the end of July. you got about six weeks or so. Be healthy. Be safe. Don't do anything foolish. Be smart. <laughs> uh, be smart. And uh, we will see you then. You know, that's that black hole in the schedule that I talk about every summer where I tell you, John, and Fiegels that I got to go into hibernation and cry myself to sleep because those six weeks are truly just the dead period of the NFL. And to be frank with you, you hope it is because you don't want to hear any headlines at that time. Any headline you do hear is going to probably turn out to be bad. So uh, coaches do want to sleep at night, and they don't want any phone calls during the weeks uh, of the summer at that particular time. Well, especially since it's also an opportunity for coaches to get away from the game a little bit too, Paul. So the last thing they want is a phone call or reading a headline, as you mentioned, where it's not good news. I think what's also important to highlight what you just talked about, it's not just, God forbid, something off the field with respect to behavior. It's also guys being smart about how they're working out and the stress they're putting their bodies under because I don't want to get completely off topic, Paul, but I think one of the conversations that has emerged this offseason, and maybe this is something that they're going to look at, and this is more of a union issue, but Jawan James, as I'm sure you're aware of the Broncos' right tackle who opted out last season, unfortunately, he was getting prepared for the season on his own. He was not at the facility. He tore his Achilles, and the team has since parted ways with him and is not necessarily on the hook for his salary. Now, once again, that's a union thing, and I'm not trying to get all caught up in the details of the union language, but it is important to emphasize that guys, some of them, they're going to work out. They're not just going to take six weeks off, right? Because you don't want to all of a sudden have a shock to your body when camp starts. So you got to be smart in terms of what you're putting your body up against, where you're working out, who's guiding you, and are you in contact at least still with the team so that if you need some advice, they're there as in a guiding resource. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, the, the bottom line is this, and we, we all like to believe that once a guy gets to the NFL, they're a professional and everything is going to go smoothly. Well, you and I both know that's not always true, Lance. It's just not. Sure. Uh, their mistakes are made. Uh, some of them are just foolishness. Others are immaturity. Uh, you know, you can look at all the rules you want. You can even carry the rules around in your pocket on a daily basis if you like to. But sometimes things get careless and sometimes things happen. So despite the fact that, that all these guys are pros, uh, trust me, GMs and coaches do actually have that little voice in the back of their heads that says, please don't anything go wrong. Please don't anything go wrong. Please let's get through the summer okay. It's just the nature of the beast. Well, I want to now move before we wrap up shop here to something more related to what will happen on the field as opposed to some of the off-season quiet activities. And that is, yes, Paul, I know you're going to get on me. It's one of my favorite topics, and you're wondering why I'm even bringing this up. But, yes, it is rankings for teams. 
I don't know why we're stepping into this dangerous territory, but hey, I guess I want to explore a little bit today. So Charlie's going to call you next week. Yeah, he may. Well, that's fair. But you know what? When you're in the heart of the offseason and you're looking for something relatable to the Giants, sometimes we have to go down this road. In fairness, the source of these rankings is somebody that is pretty well respected across the National Football League, and that is, of course, Peter King who now works for NBC, and he has a Monday column that he puts out, and it's Peter King's Football Morning in America. So his latest column, which was published today, interestingly ranks all 32 teams. Now, the reason why these rankings are interesting is he's taking into consideration what was done at free agency, and he's taking into consideration what was done in the draft. So we really have the whole package at this point of what every team did. I found it very interesting, these rankings, because – He really has all of the NFC East teams grouped smack together, which you don't necessarily see. Just to give you an idea of where teams rank, and then we'll go into detail what he had to say. He's got Washington the highest, okay? They're number 15. Then, as you scroll a little bit further down, the Giants are 20th, Dallas is 21, and then you don't have to go too far down the list because Philadelphia is 28th. So you've got three teams, according to Peter King and his rankings, that he's got between 20th and 28th. That's Dallas, the Giants, as well as Philadelphia. So I found that to be most interesting, and maybe that falls in line to what we talked about, where there's really not a lot of separation and not a juggernaut in this division, at least going in. Well, I think the disappointing thing, if you will, is that he's not necessarily seeing anybody in this division separating themselves outside of Washington, who he decided to place 15th, even though they're coming off of a 7-9 and season. Uh, he just seems to believe that they have made the most gains because he's put some space between them and the other three teams. I don't know that I agree with that. I do think that the Washington football team has gotten better. I do think the Giants have gotten better. And I think that Dallas is expected to be better. I'm not so sure that the Eagles are a whole lot better. In fact, they might even turn out to take a step back. So I would think if there's any separation between these four teams, it would be the three that I mentioned moving up and Philly going in the other direction. That's how I see it. Peter doesn't agree, and that's okay because it's only May. Of course, we got a lot of time. Plus, you got to show it on the field. This is now the time for speculation. Also, I don't think it's surprising that most teams, or most people, I should say, have Philadelphia in the basement, mainly because they have the most newness of all of the teams because you got a new coaching staff and you've had some turnover with respect to the roster. His logic with Washington, the reason why he has them listed the highest is He's very high on their defense, and Paul, I cannot fault him for that. He points to the fact that Washington allowed 15.9 points per game, and four of their wins came on the road, and each of those teams that they played on the road down the stretch, Dallas, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, and Philly, which he references, they held all of those opponents in the teens. And if we're looking at the Giants' defense in a similar way, where we're saying, okay, hey, the group can certainly pick up where it left off, I can't fault his logic in saying, hey— Also, Chase Young is 22 years old. Montez Sweat is 24. That defense played very well. They added more talent. It's not a stretch to say that that's going to probably be a very strong facet of that team this year. Well, I think the other comment that he talks about, he mentions, quote, I'm bullish on this team. If Ryan Fitzpatrick is efficient leading the offense, no guarantees there because, well, there's never a guarantee with Fitzmagic. Well, 
but isn't isn't that the whole point of why his ranking is inflated at 15? Because he's admitting to the fact that the quarterback is really a seesaw guy. A wild card, yeah. He sees as up and down as they come. And, you know, look, for anybody who doubts Daniel Jones and says they're not sure if he's the franchise, well, let me tell you something. Ryan Fitzpatrick has put, what, nearly 15 years of, of NFL tape on his resume? And how can you be sure that he's going to be good enough to lead a first-place team in the NFC East? I, I, I mean, I, I, I find anybody who doubts Daniel Jones has to have at least as many, if not more, doubts about Fitzpatrick, don't you think? Well, Fitzpatrick's moved around, as you mentioned, He's been up and down over the course of his career. And I think part of that is when you don't stay with one team, right? You're getting used to a new offense, used to new personnel. I don't think it's crazy to associate the two. However, the difference between, of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Daniel Jones is Fitzpatrick's been in the NFL for a whole lot longer than Daniel Jones. He's seen a lot of defenses. He's seen a lot of football. And I think I referenced this previously on the show, and I know this is only one season I'm referencing, but I look at Washington's potential very similar, Paul, to the 2015 Jets. And that year, the Jets went 10-6. and six. Fitzpatrick was the starting quarterback. He had Brandon Marshall. He had Eric Decker. They had a lot of weapons. The offense performed admirably. They won double-digit games. Yes, they just missed out on the playoffs, but I'm looking at that because I'm seeing Washington surround him with talent. And when there's stability around Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's got that ceiling. Does that happen? I don't have a crystal ball. But that would be my best comparison to maybe how also a guy like Peter King is looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick this season. Well, I suppose you could certainly use that as a threat of logic, but that was a Ryan Fitzpatrick that was, what, in his mid-30s, early to mid-30s? And now he's closer to 40. I mean... You know, again, he didn't play too I, bad in Miami last year. In fairness, I, th- I, I thought he, I thought he played okay with the Dolphins, but the year before, when he was their starter, so to speak, and I know that they were not a very good team, uh, he didn't look nearly as good as as he did last year in limited work. So I, I look I, again. I just wonder, given his age, and given the stuff that he's put on tape. I just wonder if it's not just as justifiable to have doubts about him if you're going to tell me you have doubts about Daniel Jones. That, that's all I'm saying. I, I, just, I think it's laughable for someone to have more confidence in Fitzpatrick over Jones. I guess that's the ultimate line that I would have to put out. Well, when you phrase it that way, to me, that's a little bit of a different conversation. I think, and once again, I'm only talking about through my lens. I think when you take into consideration the Washington defense, second year under Jack Del Rio, Fitzpatrick having some nice talent around him, and an offense that I thought slowly got better as the season progressed. Remember, they didn't have any stability under center. Alex Smith in and out of the lineup, Kyle Allen, the list goes on and on. I think when you complete all of those things and you put them together, I don't think it's crazy to think that that team could make some noise within the division. But in fairness, as we look at what he said about the Giants, he brings up a lot of points that we've raised. First thing that he says is this offseason reminded him a lot about 2016 when the Giants went on a spending spree and they brought in Janoris Jenkins, Olivier Vernon, and Snacks Mm -hmm. Harrison. So that was the one thing that he mentioned, and the results were there immediately based on the fact that that was the last time the Giants made the playoffs. So he likes the fact that they were aggressive. He also likes the fact that they went out and brought in guys like Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson. 
in terms of helping both sides of the ball. Kyle Rudolph, he talked about, being a nice compliment to Evan Ingram and giving them another red zone target. And then, of course, Kadarius Toney being a very versatile first-round pick. So all of those things that we've talked about, he acknowledges. It's just, once again, the things that he highlights is, can guys stay healthy and can the investments equate to the productivity on the field, which once again, all valid points and all things that we've raised on programs going back to the start of the offseason. Well, I I agree with that. Uh, I would also add to your final Fitzpatrick point, it almost kind of blends into the situation with the Giants. You talked about Fitzpatrick being in a situation or an environment that is conducive to his success. I would suggest to you that Daniel Jones has also been put into an improving environment that is the most conducive to winning in the three years that he's been in the league. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, in terms of balance and especially with what he's working with on offense, I don't think it's up for debate. I think this is by far the best talent group, the best core that he's had around him. And the other factor, which I think is most important, maybe more so— have a good defense, too. Well, that, too. But I was going to say is also you're giving him the same offense to operate under. To mm-hmm. me, that's a huge factor, it Paul. Is. It I'm not going to dismiss that so easily. Baker talked about it, yeah. too. So I guess, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is when I look at these teams in the rankings, I think the Giants in Washington, and I have no problem if you'd like to put Prescott in the Cowboys because of their offensive prowess. I'm not as sold on their defense. I still think they're the third-place team in the division. But I think those three teams have a much better chance of being clustered than the Giants and and uh, Philly and Dallas or you know and leaving Washington to be the team in the front runner. I, I that's just the way I see it. And I don't disagree with you. I think if you're going to talk about a battle, Dallas, the Giants and Washington. I mean that's most likely the battle. I'm not dismissing Philadelphia because weird things have happened in this division. And that is here, true. <laughs> here's another thing. Also, I also I get it. Jalen Hurts four starts last season. We really don't know what we have out of him, but. Some young guys have all of a sudden blossomed when you give them a new coaching staff, a new outlook. Who knows? I mean, maybe Hertz actually puts it all together. Is it guaranteed? No. Is it likely? No. But once again, I'm not ruling out. But when you look at balance, if we're going to go by offense and defense, the three other teams with the experience, with the schemes they're working in, I think have a distinct advantage. With Dallas, once again, can Dan Quinn, now taking over as the defensive coordinator, bring that group from the bottom to the midway point of the ranking statistically. If he does that, that's where Dallas becomes that much more of a dangerous team. We talked about the Giants, and then with Washington, it's the opposite of the Cowboys. You're not questioning, really, the defense because you feel good about Jack Del Rio's group. What you're questioning is, can Ryan Fitzpatrick be a stable force so that an offense— that was more of a complementary piece to the defense last year, maybe become more of a prominent facet. I think that's what makes also this division intriguing because mm-hmm. no matter how we look at these three teams in particular, Paul, it's not the same storyline. You're, dif- you're dealing with a different angle, I think, for all three of these teams. Well, and, and I think the other part to this, too, that so many of us seem willing to forget is that Philadelphia is operating with a new coaching staff. Okay, Nick Sirianni is now the head coach. Peterson's been there for a while, and he's now gone with a resume of success. We have no idea what Sirianni's going to face, but what we do know is this. He's a new head coach, first-timer, dealing with the pandemic circumstances and all the stuff 
that the first-time head coaches had to deal with last year and had difficulty navigating. And so when you throw that on top of the uh, the sandwich and then you throw on the fact that Jason Hurts is now dealing, you know, with a Jalen totally Hurts, yeah. different uh, Jalen Hurts is dealing with an entirely different scenario where he's going into training camp as the supposed starter, although they've said there could be a competition. I mean, I I just don't see how their road is not full of landmines. I just don't see it. And you also wonder about the defense. Remember, they got a new defensive sure. coordinator, too. Jim Schwartz is not there anymore. They did add Ryan Kerrigan. Those guys, I think, are very strong up front. How does the secondary complement that group? Philadelphia has question marks across the board. I don't think anybody would disagree with you there. But once again, you look at this division, and I find it hysterical. We had the same conversation. Philadelphia has an advantage. Doug Peterson's coming back. And then what happened last year, Paul? It was the teams that had the new coordinators that actually fared better than the ones with the old regime. It's the NFL, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the most unpredictable league. It's what makes it fun. It's what also makes it frustrating at the same time. So, That is going to wrap things up for us here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Special thanks again to Stephen Baker for joining us early in the program. Some great insight on his playing days as well as his philosophy when it comes to the Giants' offense. A reminder, all of our shows this week will be pre-recorded. So that's why we're not taking any phone calls. We're not live up and running, but we're going to have a show every single day. Our goal is to hear from a former Giant to get their perspective on the current team. And also, we'll be more than happy to answer some of your questions. So if you send them in on social media using hashtag GiantsChat, we'll be reviewing them throughout the week. So if you have anything pertaining to the team, some narrative storylines, we'll be monitoring that all week, and we will look to answer as many as we can over the course of the upcoming programs. We'll have a special guest on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, focusing on the run game, so stay tuned for that. A reminder that today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Paul, enjoyed the conversation. I will speak to you later on this week. Will do, Lance. Stay well. That is going to wrap things up for us. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. We're signing off. Have a good one.